What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. We are going to today. We're going to we're going to go through the Celtics roster. Basically, just kind of go through some homework things that each player can work on over the summer. Credit to Quinn Johnson for hey, suggesting this idea. He actually runs our Twitter account at Geno Time Pod, which you can follow. Also, if any listeners have ideas for the offseason, please feel free to reach out to me and Tom. We would love to hear them. So let's go through the players, and we will go one by one, and we will start at the very top with Jason Tatum. Nicole, what is the number one thing that you would like to see Jason Tatum come back with this year? Jason Tatum, as we've seen sort of since his rookie year, he's just continued to get stronger and put on weight. If you look at a picture of him from his rookie year to now, like you can tell that he's actually done it. It's from yeah. He has the frame, too, where he can really bulk up. After his rookie year, I talked to him and his dad during the offseason, and they both said that that was a goal because he – do you remember, like, how his rookie, and I think sort of into his sophomore year, he kept getting, like, the ball smacked away yeah. from him um, as he would drive to the hoop, and he, he would just, like, lose his dribble sometimes. They thought getting stronger would help him play through contact and also finish at the rim at a higher clip. I think we've seen those improvements. So I think with Tatum too, he's got the three-point shot. Like I think he's really developed that step back or that sidestep three. That's his shot. So I think if he can get stronger and assert himself in the paint and draw more fouls driving to the rim, that will make him a complete player. And also, and I think if your best player is a lethal threat from behind the arc, but then also can have like a strong take to the rim and hopefully get fouled. Um, like, I mean, Tatum already always looks for the contact anyway. So if you can actually like draw it, I think that would be a, a nice complimentary game. Definitely. His, his, his assist to turnover and his turnover ratio numbers haven't fluctuated much throughout his career. Even if you split like playoffs and regular season and all that stuff, they're pretty close. And I think part of that is because he's not getting stripped as much because he's gotten stronger, but I, I think he's passing more. He's become more of a playmaker and he's learning how to do that. So he's turning the ball over more just like as a passer, as opposed to just getting stripped every time he goes to the rim. But yeah, I agree with you that getting stronger is good. And you and I have touched on his absurd basketball frame before. Like he's very strangely built, but he's built specifically to be 
be a basketball player. Like he's got like an oddly, you know, shaped frame, but everything on him is just like, oh yeah, like that's how a basketball player should be built. For me, the, the biggest thing with Tatum is I think he just needs to expand his range deeper. So much of his game is predicated on whether or not he's hitting threes. I think making defenses panic a little bit further out because right now they get really worried about him, but basically right at the three-point line. Like if he's a little bit further behind the three-point line, like they'll come out to guard him, but they're not going to be like panicking and warping their entire defense out to that point. So if you can get the defense to warp out to 28, 29 feet, I think that opens up so much. I mean, he's shown like this burgeoning pick and roll game. I mean, he showed a lot as a passer. I think those things would really take a big step up if he was able to shoot from a little bit deeper. Yeah, that was what I was between was range and getting stronger. And I think too, like both of these things are very doable. I think he will get stronger. I think that's a natural thing that players of his tenure in the NBA continue to do. And I think he will expand his range. One, based on Drew Hanlon's confirmation. And two, it's a no-brainer for him and it doesn't seem like it's like a tall task. Right. Right, for sure. And I think, too, just like, again, something that we've talked about, but the Celtics are very high on the fact that when they introduce something to Tatum, he's able to implement it pretty quickly. And I think that, like, expanding your range is an off-season task. Like, that that's going to take a while. It's going to take some time to implement that into your game. But if there's anybody who's capable of improving something like that during the off-season, it's Jason Tatum. So I think the next guy, we probably will both have the same answer. So on this guy, maybe exclusively, I will allow it. I think Kemba Walker's off-season homework is just to get healthy. It's not like they need him to, like, take fewer shots or like improve as a pick and roll passer or something like that it's like no like Kemba's gonna be Kemba and that's what the Celtics need they just need him to be healthy to do it right and Kemba's gonna be entering his 10th season in the NBA I don't think there's much we can say like he's been an all-star and all NBA there's no area of his game that he's not giving effort like he's not a great defender but he's trying and that's literally all you can ask of him just got to get healthy in terms of whether that's doable or not I don't really know. When Danny Ainge spoke to us, he said that he wasn't sure if Kemba was going to be getting surgery or any sort of off-season procedure. He seemed to indicate his answer right now would be no, that's not in the cards, but maybe after further evaluation or after he rests a little bit more, there's a procedure, but... I think Danny would have probably pushed back a little bit if it was less likely that Kemba was going to have to get a procedure. Cause like they don't, I don't think the Celtics would want to admit that like their star point guard who they just signed for like a four year deal needs a big procedure if it wasn't entirely plausible that he would. We'll see what happens, but I think that it's certainly plausible um, that he might need surgery. And, and if he does, I mean, it's tough to speculate on, on health. And we touched on this in our first off-season look of just how it's concerning that they had a four-month hiatus and he came back and after, I think, one or two practices was like, yeah, my knee has a little bit of discomfort. And and it's equally noteworthy that he got, that he seemed pretty healthy early in the bubble and that he seemed much less healthy as the bubble went on. Like, I think both of those things are disturbing. I don't know. I just still am very concerned about Kemba's health. I think the Celtics should also be concerned. Agreed. The next guy, uh, Jalen Brown. What's the, uh, what's the biggest thing you want to see Jalen improve next year? With Jalen, he improved so much from last season to this season that I almost feel bad being like, I think he needs to improve on this because Jalen works so hard and cares so much above average. I know a lot of Celtics fall in that category, but I just think Jalen, it's to a different level with him. 
just continuing to improve his handle, just continuing to improve his shot. Like, I feel like I don't have one specific thing, but it's just like, keep improving on the things that he was improving on last year. Like he ID'd the areas that he needed to work on. And it's like, okay, if he continues to improve his handle, he can be more of a threat off the dribble, which makes him just more of an overall offensive threat. And we always poke fun at him because he gives the same answer. But if he continues to stay aggressive and continues to be aggressive, I think good things will happen for him. I think, you know, you just mentioned uh, us, us chuckling at him constantly saying the same thing about being aggressive. During the playoffs, he averaged nine drives per game. Tatum averaged 13, roughly. Kemba Walker averaged roughly 11. I think Jalen could be really dangerous next year if he became more of like a slasher player who used three-point shooting as a way to get back to slashing. His handle obviously improved so much. He's got that really incredibly quick first step, which he's now able to show because his handle is better. I I think for him, the biggest thing is just, again, like he would say, being more aggressive, trying to drive to the rim more, because in the way that I I think that he and Tatum should be reversed, right? Like Tatum's offense should originate from his three-point shooting, and then he should use his drive as a way to supplement that. For Jalen, it should be the opposite. I think he's a good three-point shooter. I think that should supplement his drives to the basket because he's so athletic, because, you know, he is improving his handle and because his first step is so quick. And I think Jalen would agree with you because of the fire and ice. Because I said, be aggressive. <laughs> Their fire yeah. next nickname really fits. And I think Jalen one day before the break sort of talked about how he and Tatum are very complimentary players and they're very different. And I think you basically just explained what he was saying. If the Celtics have their two wings operating at high levels with those skill sets, yeah, that's exactly what you want. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. If you have two two way players who can who can do that and then you're li- literally supplementing them with like Campbell Walker, that's that's a good setup. Let's move on to another kind of tough one. Uh Gordon Hayward. Again, this is hard because when he was healthy, he was everything the Celtics needed him to be. He really was. Like he was a facilitator, a scorer, a passer, a defender, like he was all of those things. And there's just like not really an obvious flaw in his game. So I guess setting aside health, the thing that I would say for Hayward is I think there are times like if he's really cooking, he is not as likely as the other guys when they are cooking to go for 30. I think sometimes it would be good for the Celtics if Hayward did. Gordon should be more assertive. Gordon should be more like, okay, I've got it. Let me keep scoring until I'm not really scoring anymore, and then the other stars on the team can do it. That's not going to be every game, but if it's if it's once every four games, if it's once or twice or every couple weeks, like that's huge. That's yet another weapon for the Celtics. Yeah, I feel like Gordon's sort of been boxed into this facilitator role. Like, that's how a lot of people talk about him, and it's accurate because he is a very good facilitator. Gordon has said on several occasions, sometimes I overpass. Yeah. And I think it's just IDing those moments. There are games where Gordon can be the guy and it's okay if he's the guy. Like it's not like he's going to come off as selfish or anything. You know, like I, I think at least based on the most recent postseason run, there have been games where the Celtics just need some sort of offense. I think Gordon Hayward can be that guy. I think that's what everyone was saying when he was out. 
I feel like the interesting thing about Hayward is that, like, not to go, like, full white guy to white guy comparison, but, like, I think there are times when he's sort of, like, the wing version on, like, a much lower level, the wing version of Steve Nash. Dude, this guy is, like, a 50-40-90 shooter. Like, he could just shoot sometimes. Like, why isn't he shooting a little bit more? And obviously, like, Gordon Hayward is not Steve Nash, but I think that there are some similarities there with him on the wing where it's, like, sometimes you're, like, dude, you could just score sometimes, you know, like, you wanted to. I think the Celtics would be fine with that. It's tough to criticize him when you look at the playoffs and it's like, or excuse me, when you look at the regular season, Jason Tatum scored 23.4 points per game. Kemba Walker scored 20.4. Jalen scored 20.3. Hayward scored 17.5. Like that's a really good, I mean, that's really good. You have four guys over 17 points a game in your starting lineup. That's a good basketball team. So it's hard to criticize Hayward too much for not scoring enough when he literally averaged 17 and a half per game. But I think it's more situational. I think it's it's identifying the right situation to, to take over, to say like, okay, this is the moment where they need me to be the 29 point per game guy. Marcus Smart. So Smart's an interesting one. Obviously, you know, he, he does so much for the team. And yet I think there are pretty obvious and also fixable things that he could improve on. So what's what's number one for you? This has been something he's been working on for a while. Just keep on working on his shot. He's going to continue to take them regardless. So you might as well try and like increase the frequency at which they go in. A hundred percent. I wonder if he will continue to take them. I don't think it's like a guarantee that you're just like, oh, Marcus is going to be Marcus. He's going to like hoist 11 threes even when he's cold. Like, I don't totally agree. I think he's, he's an incredibly high IQ basketball player. Like, I think a lot of his game is based on feel, especially defensively, because like for some reason he just can like kind of intuit what's going to happen. But I think that offensively, he has a really high basketball IQ. I think that he could look at the game and say, I went one for eight here after I made my first three. You know, maybe if I'd gone one for four, wouldn't that have been better? I made one three. I felt good. I missed a couple. Okay, like I can miss two or three three pointers after making one and that's fine. But maybe like the fourth, fifth and sixth shouldn't have gone up. No doubt. I I totally agree that he is a high IQ basketball player, but I think he also has, like, for example, after OG Ananobi made that game three buzzer beater, he was like, I don't shoot to miss. And I think that's Marcus. Like, I think he that they're good shot. You know what I mean? Like, like stats wise, I think he would agree. Like, okay. Like, I mean, obviously I know one for eight isn't good and two for 13 isn't any better, but (laughs) real stat lines from Marcus Smart. Yeah, yeah, no. They came to mind because they stand out. <laughs> I guess I would question whether he, how many of those shots he would actually take back. I feel like it might be a smaller pool than we might think. That's a good point. And to his credit, some of his shots, some of his two for 13 were bad shots, but like, it's not like all of the misses were. Like a, sometimes, sometimes he's cold and they kick the ball out to him and he's open and it's like, well, yeah, you should take that shot. He's not like an elite three-point shooter, but he shot 35% this year. Like if you get it, if you're a 35% three-point shooter and you're not taking open threes, you're a detriment to your team. That's the, again, I guess that's the thing about smart. Smart is never going to be shook. <laughs> the thing is, I think Brad wants him taking those shots. That's a good point. Brad yeah. has said, like, we trust Marcus. Marcus is a good shooter. Like, Brad has said that so many times. I think there are definitely shots Brad would like back, especially when he pulls up in transition and early in the shot clock. And there are times where the shot doesn't make sense. But like you said, oftentimes the shot does make sense. It's just not going in. He's not as bad of a shooter as I think the average fan thinks he is, but I think he, he does. used to be as bad a shooter as the average fan thinks he is. Good call. And that's a credit to him. He worked yeah. on it. Not much better. I do think one more offseason of focusing on his shot could really ameliorate some of these questions about his shot selection because hopefully – 
when he does get the wide open look, they're going in. If I'm going to bring up his shitty stat lines, there was that game two performance in the Toronto series where he made yeah. five threes in like two minutes. So like, yeah. capable. It's just like the consistency. I guess, I guess the question would just be, can you, can you convince him to trim like two of them off so that, so that a one for eight is one for six or a one for five? You know, like that would be a big step. Um, and that would mean that somebody who isn't cold is taking those shots instead. But Smart this year had, uh, averaged just about five assists per game and about 1.7 turnovers per game. Like that is a really good ratio. And I think he should continue to focus on becoming a playmaker. Now that's not something that he really needs to work on because he's been a point guard most of his life and he will tell you that. But I think that like continuing to improve as a playmaker, continuing to up the possessions in which you're a playmaker, that could be really valuable because he's so good at it. And to that end, it's kind of funny. If you look at his regular season stats, 1.7 turnovers per game, 1.7 steals per game. So he actually just like got like as many of the turnovers back as the ones that he committed. So I think that that's one area in which he can continue to become just a really efficient basketball player. Even if he's not always shooting efficiently, he's not going to turn the ball over much. And when he does, he's probably going to get it back for you on the other end. At least it's going to shake out in the wash that way. Smart has been such a reliable ball handler. I think kind of in the same way that like a guy who has a really good shooting percentage should maybe shoot more, even if his percentage comes down just because those are valuable shots. Smart playmaking, maybe that should happen more because smart playmaking is really efficient. Especially when you think about some of the passes Marcus made this season. Yeah, he's a really good passer. He has like a full arsenal of options. Like he's done no look passes. He's done drive and kick. He's done skip passes. He's done, I mean, he seems to be the only one that can throw a lob. So. (laughs) Well, let's be fair. He's throwing them to Rob. (laughs) I'm like, I think... Although if nobody else can throw him to Rob, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, Terry Rozier, I just never forget. Yes. I, I need actually like a super cut of Terry Rozier lob passes. There's no conceivable way that doesn't exist yet. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll put it out to public square. I'm sure that exists. I think that's a great idea. I think Jay Laranega, his position coach, would agree with you. I think Jay has been talking about his passing before we even really saw it. Just sure. like Marcus's court vision and his ability to like place the ball with such accuracy in certain spots. Definitely. That would be also a very exciting development in terms of like highlight reels. <laughs> for sure. All right. Uh, let's move on to Daniel Tice. I think the biggest thing for him, he needs to get comfortable as a shooter because we have seen him do it. He is a good enough shooter that teams should not be able to defend him the way they do. Like teams defend him like he can't shoot at all. And like, I know like the stats don't back me up here. I know that like, even like a lot of the game tape doesn't back me up here. So like we we literally watch him in practice all the time. He can shoot, especially like open shots that he gets that he could have within the flow of the Celtics offense if he shot them. I'm not saying he needs to take like six threes a game or something like that. I think he should take more though. I think there's a good chance that he's the Celtics starting center next year. And if he is, it would help them a lot if he could space the floor to the three-point line, and he can. Yeah, and that sort of fits in line with his predecessors and Al Horford and Aaron Baines is – I think their focuses were the exact same thing. And I think Brad Stevens is all about that too. Like Aaron Baines, I don't think was a three point shooter at all before coming to Boston. And then he credited Brad for like the confidence and also like, this is something that is important to our game plan. Like you need to be able to do this. And it's the exact same thing for Tice. Yeah. That would be the big thing for Tice for me. Shoot a three, you coward. Ennis Cantor, like what do you tell Ennis Cantor to improve on? Like he, he very much is who he is. There's going to be things that he can do that he can't do. <laughs> like we kind of know what they all are. It's like, what are you going to say? Like, and it's like, learn how to defend in the pick and roll. <laughs> like, right, yeah. I'm sure people have been trying to get him to do that for the first eight seasons of his career. 
So the thing that interests me is that, like, Enes Kanter, this was one of two seasons in Enes Kanter's career where he was actually a positive on the court. I think that's partly because Brad used him in good scenarios because as Brad was kind of forced to use him more during the playoffs, Cantor's number actually dropped off quite a bit here. But per cleaning the glass, Cantor, like the Celtics were one point per 100 possessions better with Cantor on the floor than when he was off. That number was actually much higher before the playoffs and before they had to like, you know, use him a little bit more. The only other year that he was positive was actually his his second year um, in Utah when he was, Jazz were nine points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. Every other year he's been negative. Like the, the big difference basically seems to be he just can't be like a super negative on the defensive end because like all of his worst seasons, he's like, you know, the other teams are like plus nine, plus seven with him on the floor. This year they like other teams were plus 0.9. So they were a little bit worse, but not like crazy worse. And I don't know what goes into that. Defense is like really hard to evaluate from the outside. I think it's the hardest thing to evaluate from the outside. Maybe it's Brad putting him in the right situations. Maybe Cantor like worked on certain things to try to mitigate the, the defensive problems that teams might have with him on the floor. Whatever that is, it's really important that they continue to find and implement those strategies. Because if, you know, if the Celtics can find ways to like buy 10, 15 minutes, probably 15 is probably on the high end, but like 10, 15 minutes with Cantor on the floor where they are not just shelled defensively, they're going to be in, in, a, in good shape. Um, and if they do get shelled with him, then it's a problem, as we saw during the Toronto series especially. So I know that's kind of a cop-out answer because I don't have, like, a specific thing for Canada to work on defensively. Just, like, whatever it is that Brad kind of figured out to, like, avoid getting completely shelled, like, I think that's what they need to do. And I we're always ripping on Ennis Cantor, and I feel bad doing it. But there's just, like, this one very glaring thing, and I don't know how to fix it. So. Well, my off-season homework for Ennis Cantor is for him to research the influencers and celebrities he partners with for his <laughs> brand of videos. That's good. So no more 6ix9ine, no more Farrah Abraham. You can do better, Ennis. Especially 6ix9ine. Come on, man. Brad Wanamaker. He had a decent season, but it's hard to, like, pinpoint something for him to, like, go out and work on. Like, Brad Wanamaker had a good season. You know, he was a reliable bench player. Um, he was not probably what the Celtics needed, but that's not his fault. He gave them like, you know, some good defensive minutes. He gave them some floor spacing. I think if you look at back at what Wanamaker did this year, led the league in free throw percentage, like, you know, he had a good season. The thing for me with Wanamaker is it's like the Celtics really can't give him offseason homework because I don't think he's going to be back in Boston. If he's back, I honestly think that the Celtics will be happy if he does exactly what he did. Yeah. I mean, I think at one point, I don't think he finished with a 40, 50, 90 line. No, no. He he ended up like pretty, like 36.3% from three because he fell off pretty hard for a while. But remember though, at the beginning, early in the regular season, at one point, I think he did have a 40, 50, 90 line or something very close. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wanamaker, your off-season homework is just don't get out of shape, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, don't get worse. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Just be as good as you were this year and you'll be fine. This one should be a little easier. Uh, Robert Williams. What would you improve if you were Rob Williams? Oftentimes, I think Rob beats himself. Mm-hmm. So I think with Rob, it's really just about listening. He is so naturally athletic. He has the verticality that everyone talks about. He's shown that he has right instincts on the offensive end in terms of For sure. all of those lob passes. Like offensively, he looks good. I just think it's on defense. Like you just have to listen to your coaching staff. And I guess the offseason homework is to like sort of get those reps, I guess, somehow, because I think that's truly his downfall this postseason was he just had too many mental lapses on the defensive end. Offensively, I mean, the numbers, I read them on a previous episode, but when it's Rob with the starters, 
the starters being Kemba, Jalen, yep. Jason, and Marcus because Gordon was out. Their offensive rating was like like very high, but their defensive rating was also very high. Yeah. So it was like their net rating ended up being better without Rob, even though their offensive rating was better with Rob than with Tice. Somehow he needs to figure out how to be in the right spot and how to play defense because when he is in the right spot, he can block basically any shot. But it's like not swatting, not jumping at everything, just like becoming a, I don't know if more well-informed, because I think he does know what the right thing to to do is. He just can't help himself. Just more disciplined on the defensive end. I think the focus thing is, is the big one. So much of defense is just like focus. It's not like, okay, let me focus on the game plan. It's like, let me focus on second to second. So, like, I'm guarding the guy. I don't want him to get the ball, so, like, I'm going to try to prevent him from getting the ball. Okay, he got the ball. I'm going to stay, like, right up in him, but I'm going to be, like, really focused on stopping him because I know he's trying to score. And it just, like, becomes this, like, if you can, if you can stay in each specific moment, not even, like, game plan stuff. It's like, l- like let me, like, be locked completely in. To, to use, like, a, uh, you know, kind of a cliche that actually, like, works. Like, you do have to be, like, locked into every second, like, every moment, like, every pass all of that. I think that's the big challenge for Rob because like every second he has got to be in the game, like locked in, like to your point, like a guy coming by, he can't just reach out and swipe. You know, every time that a guy pump fakes, like he can't just be kind of reacting to things. It is just a matter of every single possession being in it, being like focused. And if he does all those things, not only is he playable, he is like the Celtics starting center and really freaking good. Like Rob has to get used to the idea that everything he does is going to have to be hard to do. But if he does it, he can literally be like a top 10 center in the NBA. Like he's got that kind of potential. The fact that the Celtics needed that type of offense and Brad didn't go to him, like there clearly is distrust there between him and Brad. Yeah. And I guess my question for you then is like, are there ways he can work on that without like live reps? I don't know that there are. I mean, I think it just comes down to a mentality thing. So that's probably why it was so detrimental to his development to be out for so long with injury during the regular season, like even before the shutdown. Do you think if there's summer league, Rob's going back to summer league? If I'm the Celtics, I'm asking him to. And and it would be like, look, like we don't want you to score. We don't want you to be trying new things out offensively. Like if you get a lob, great. But like, that's not why you're here. You are here to show that like you can lock in and just be a defensive monster. Um, yeah, I would try to, I would definitely try to get him to play summer league if I could. Um, all right, last guy that I think we can go in depth before we go into sort of like a lightning round of like the last guys. Grant Williams, somebody who has a real chance to play major minutes next year. The thing that I would work on the most is just fluidity and sort of agility. He is so strong. That's not going anywhere. If he gets like a little bit maybe lighter or whatever it might be, like or quicker with his feet, I don't actually care if he gets lighter or like whatever. I just think like getting quicker with his feet and whatever form that takes. That's going to be the really important thing. The Celtics want him to be a small ball center. They want him to be able to guard bigs and they want him to be able to switch onto guards when the guards come around the pick and roll or whatever it might be. They want to be able to have him make reads and then make the right play. Because right now where Grant is at is he can make the reads He just isn't always physically capable of doing everything that's expected. And that'll come. He's smart enough to make the reads. And as he stays in the NBA longer and longer, he's going to adjust more and more to the speed of the game and to the physicality of the game and everything else. For me, you know, obviously, like, he can work on the three-point shot. He can do all that stuff. But I think the big thing is just, like, locking in his potential as a small ball center and as a switchable guy who can kind of guard any position, make the right reads, and then just do the right things. That's his role, and he's already shown that he is capable of. It's just really reaching that potential. So, Brad, I mean, again, it just all comes back to, like, getting Brad to trust you. 
It really does. He actually is a fine three-point shooter. He just started off 0 for 26 or whatever it was. And so his percentage is all fucked up now. But, like, he made a number of threes in the bubble and during the playoffs. I mean, obviously, like, you want him to continue to work on that shot because that shot is very important to him, especially based on how teams were defending him. They left him wide open. And sometimes he would still brick it, but the more he can make that shot, the more it puts pressure on the defense and things like that. He does need to work on it. This is not something where it's like, oh, he's fine. He'll be okay. Like, no, he needs to, like, he, he does need to work on it quite a bit. But I think that the more important thing is the defensive end because that is where Brad is going to really look to trust him. If Grant gets some looks from three, great. Like, shoot him, get better at him, whatever. Certainly work on them during the offseason. And I think that, honestly, some of the Celtics drills they run with him are are so smart. They make him go through all this defensive stuff. And then he has to run out to the three-point line and shoot a three. That, That kind of encapsulates what he needs to do. Totally. And I think it's telling whenever we see Grant or Romeo on a court pregame, they're almost always doing defensive drills. That's how they're going to get minutes. That's how Grant got minutes. Yeah. And also during the playoffs, his three-point percentage was 58.8. <laughs> Pretty good. He averaged one three-point attempt per game. But at the very least... But he made it half the time. <laughs> <laughs> at the very least, it was going down at a higher clip. All right, let's get into just some of the quick ones. We can start with Romeo Langford. I would go with three-point shooting again. Anybody who has watched Romeo Langford knows he can be a slasher. If I were Romeo, I would continue to work on getting stronger so that like the parts of his of his game that are really good already can then be further emphasized. Because he is a really good slasher. He's a really good ball handler. He's really good around the rim. Um, watch him any any game at Indiana. He's tough around the rim. He can finish. He can get to the free throw line. He didn't do it in the NBA because, you know, he was kind of out of the rotation. And then it's tough to be a slasher when you're just, like, thrown in for spot minutes here and there. But, like, I think, like, his defense looks real, which is interesting because I did not think he was going to be a real defender. Make sure that when you're asked to do the things that you have always been able to do, that you can then do them at the NBA level because if you can put together the slashing, the defense, and then maybe, like, 34% three-point shooting, just, like, something real basic, um, you're going to be in a good spot. Poor Romeo, though, is in such a tough spot that he might not even be ready for the start of next season. Like, I don't even know what he's going to be capable of doing this offseason, especially after undergoing surgery. It's just wild to think about how everyone uses this word, but like snake bitten his rookie year was. Like I forgot that he didn't play during summer league. Like it literally started from the beginning. I think the Celtics are deep enough where he won't become like a rotation player just yet. I just can't really picture him in the rotation yet next season. I bet he'll get some time in Maine if that's still a thing and things like that. But for him, it's really next season's going to be like another developmental season. Two interesting Romeo stats before we move on. He was third on the team in on off. The Celtics were 7.8 points per 100 possessions better when he was on the floor. They were two points per possession better offensively, but defensively they were 5.8 points per 100 possessions better. That is 88th percentile uh, league-wide. So obviously, you know, 309 minutes, he barely played, but Celtics were better when he did. So let's go now to Carson Edwards. What do you want to see from Carson? This is going to sound so lame, but, like, stick with it. Yeah. <laughs> we touched on this in our first offseason look, but, like, his archetype is almost exactly what the Celtics wanted, like, just, like, a sharpshooter off the bench that can knock down threes and not really do much else. I guess just sticking with it, especially, too, because his roster spot – like, I mean, he had a bad rookie year. Like, I think his roster spot among the draft picks is probably the most – in flux like Romeo might get traded but otherwise he's definitely going to be on the team 
Grant will definitely be on the team. I think Tremont has a better shot at staying on the team than Carson. So uh, just keep your head up. Inspirational words from Nicole <laughs> Yang. <laughs> what about you, Tom? Right. No, I mean, I, I'm making fun of you, but like, I mean, my answers would be largely the same. I, I think if I was going to give him something concrete, I would tell him to try to become more of like a, like, watch how JJ Reddick plays basketball. Because Reddick is, I think, the pinnacle of where Carson Edwards could get. That's where Carson could get to if he completely maxes out. Right. Like, this is an important offseason for him. If, like, next year we see much of the same in terms of his usage, I don't think he'll be back for a third year, you know? For sure. And I think the Celtics are, are realistic about, like, the opportunities that Carson got this year. Like, it's not all his fault that he, like, right. did not have a great year. Like, it's just roster crunch, and, and he's a rookie on a team that was trying to win a title. Let's do uh, let, let, let's do Shemi. What, what's number one for you on Shemi's checklist? Continuing to round out his offense, I think he's proven to be a very strong, capable defender. Hard to disagree with any of that, especially because, like, I think the roster crunch is going to make it hard for him to make the make the team next year. So, like, if you're just looking around the league, like, what's the thing that could get you on pretty much any NBA roster? 3 and D. Like, if you're a 3 and D wing, that's going to get you paid. He's a smart worker. He, he will continue to work. I, I, I don't think he'll probably be on the roster next year, but I don't think his time in the NBA is done either. Javante Green, another guy where it's like there weren't like that many minutes. It's hard to say exactly. Another guy where I think 3 and D is like the, you know, kind of ultimate place where he can really shine. If I was giving him something specific, and I think that any coach of his at any level would agree with me, sit down into a stance one time for me, dude. Like <laughs> He's so athletic that he can get away with it. How dangerous could Javante be as a defender if he just sat down into it and, and uh, really like played fundamental defense one time with all that athleticism? Javante is tough because with Shen Shemi, I'm not trying to say that Javante won't get there, but with Shemi, he's like right there. You know what I mean? Like he's already shown that he can guard Giannis and those types of players. And he's shown that he can make improvements with his three-point shooting. It's just not right where I think a coach would want it, both in terms of attempts and percentage. With Javante, it's like you're not even close to where Shemi is, you know, like at least in terms of what we've seen at the NBA level because we saw so little of him. So it's hard to come up with something to say, but I agree that the 3D mold seems to fit for him. And I think, like, for him and his agent, it's just, like, keeping him in the league is the goal. And whatever you need to do to, like, sell a team on him, do it. Yeah. We talked about this before. The Celtics really liked him. Players, like, I think the coaches, the GM, like, they, they all they all like Javante. He's, he's a fun guy to have around. Um, it's just that, like, I think they believe that he could be a real NBA player, you know, somebody who yeah. isn't just, like, a back-end guy. But on this team, there's just not enough, especially with all the draft picks coming in, there's just not enough room for a guy whose primary thing is, like, the guy that everybody likes. Especially because Javante probably won't accept the two-way role, which makes sense. All right, so last two guys here. I mean, we can probably blow through one of them. Poire, I don't think is going to be back next year, and I would be surprised if he's in the NBA next year. At this stage in his career, I do not think he is ready for NBA basketball. We saw so little of him, and he did so little. I couldn't even tell you, like, what his strengths and weaknesses are. The, literally the only strengths and weaknesses of his I know are from, like, off-season scouting. From his Celtics tenure? Yeah, I have not learned much about <laughs> Exactly. Like, I feel like I don't know much about him as a basketball player at all, other than, like, he's not very good and won't get minutes. So If he goes back overseas and has a couple of really good years over there because now he's experienced, like, the really hard stuff, maybe he can come back in the future. Like, I, I don't think that's impossible at all. A lot of work has to happen before that comes. And, and some guys come over here and are like, yeah, like, I don't want to, like, keep bouncing back and forth between continents, and that's fine, too. Like, that's completely understandable. We'll see what happens with him. 
So the last two guys are the two two-way guys. Tremont Waters, I think the biggest thing going into next season specifically is three-point shooting off the dribble, being able to hit that shot coming around a pick and roll. He did it relatively well in the G League. He did it poorly in the NBA. If he can do it, you know, as well as he did it in the G League in the NBA, um, he's going to be in really good shape to be the Celtics backup. I think the opportunities are going to be there. For Tremont, the big thing is going to be like scoring out of that pick and roll and then using that to do the things that he's really good at, which is like passing. All that stuff opens up if you can hit threes off the bounce. So that's what I would expect to see from him. I agree with you. And I guess just to add like his defense, just showing he can defend at like the NBA level uh, will probably be important, especially because of his size and Brad values defense so much. Definitely. And then our last guy, Taco Fall. Taco's kind of a keep on keeping on guy. I mean, I think the Celtics have been working really hard on just his overall skill. It's hard to pinpoint like one thing that Taco needs to work on because like basically what he is in the NBA right now is enormous. He needs to be enormous and able to do like one or two other things. So if he can do those like one or two other things, like, you know, maybe he'll get like some chances to to prove himself somewhere. Kind of comes down to like, can you do anything from way up there? I think he's just trying to work on becoming like playable. Yeah. Whatever path that might be, but I don't know. Last thing for you here, uh, just because I, I have the page up in front of me and I was thinking about it and kind of chuckling to myself. So the Celtics five best players in terms of plus minus this season. Jason Tatum, Tremont Waters, Romeo Langford, Gordon Hayward, Grant Williams. What do you think the chances are that those five guys, because that is a lineup that has a center, it has a point guard, <laughs> and it has three wings. What do you think the chances are that we see that those five at some point next season? Not zero. Not zero. <laughs> I think all five of those guys could be back. I think all five of them yeah. could end up in the rotation. There definitely is a world where those five players are on the court at the same time. Yeah, which is kind of funny when you, like, yeah. go through the names again that, that we think that, like, yeah, I think Tremont Waters and Jason Tatum could be on the floor at the same time. For the record, uh, this past season, zero minutes for that lineup. Uh, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure that comes as no surprise. All right, guys. Well, we will leave it there. Um, as always, thank you to everybody for listening. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And we will talk to you all again on Thursday. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.